0: Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. And first off, let me say, I am so happy to look out and see so many young faces. Not that there aren't young faces usually in here. Uh, Everybody just looks amazing all the time. But I just want to say, welcome families, kids, everyone. It's so good to be here with you all today to welcome in the new year. And so, families, if your kids get loud, great. That's what a family service is about. We chose to do this, all right? We love it. We want the kids in here. Uh, If a kid cries during my sermon, I'm sorry. It it is what it is, (laughs) but Happy New Year, and I don't want to waste any time, so let me just address the elephant in the room. I am sitting today. No, nothing is wrong with me at all. Well, anyway, I am sitting because usually when I teach or I have an opportunity on a Sunday, I get very like passionate and I teach and I like just am, I don't know, just full passion is the best way to describe it. And today is a little bit different. Today, I want to teach you something rather than preach something. And so with that said, the first thing I want to talk about, if you guys are ready, is this statement. New year, new me. And if you've already put that down as a hashtag, I am not trying to make fun of you at all. All right? But guess what? This statement rarely happens. And I say that not as like somebody who's just disses change. If you know me at all, I love change. And I believe in a God that can change people in an instant. But that rarely happens happens. And so let's be honest with ourselves. How many of you have already or are planning to write down your goals for this year? Yes, I am completely guilty of this as well. I hope some of you who raised your hands or people who didn't, you are still anticipating something in the new year that you are anticipating growth in a spiritual way. I hope that's it. But for now, let me ask you this question. How many of you had goals last year? Yeah. How many of you met those goals last year? Oh, one person says yes. Uh, to be honest, I did not meet my goals last year. I planned to run a marathon, like that was my plan, and instead, God had a different plan. That's sort sort of like a marathon. I became a parent, and so. Uh, For anybody who wants to train for a marathon, let me encourage you in one area, you need sleep. (laughs) All right? If you don't have sleep, don't train for a marathon. It's just a dumb idea. I'm just going to say it. But we all have goals, and there are certain people that continually meet their goals because they have one thing in common. They have coaches or accountability partners, people that will challenge them and ask them the tough questions no one will ask. By talking to somebody once a day, once a week, or by somebody teaching you how to do something, you are more likely to actually do it or accomplish a goal, or even become a better person. Think about it. Goals need a mentor. You need a guide at times, and even the best of us need mentors and guides at times. And Macy, pray this is for you. So even superheroes need mentors and guides. And Spider-Man is all the the craze right now. A new movie just came out. I have not watched it. Don't spoil it for me. But he had Iron Man as his mentor. To be honest, and I might get some booze for this, I am not the biggest fan of Marvel. (laughs) What? No, I'm really not. Like, I, I think it's great, but here's the thing is you don't have a serious moment and then just super laughing the next. Anyway, here's somebody I like more because he takes life the way I do, kind of more seriously. (laughs) Yes, right there. Batman is an amazing example of crushing your goals. (laughs) Honestly, and it's more attainable, right? He's fully human and really rich and had a lot of time to train in all these different areas. Super attainable, am I right? But the truth about Batman is he had a mentor for combat. He had a mentor for his technology. He even had a mentor for his morale. See, he sat and learned so he could master his craft. And this is how we should pursue our goals. We should seek guidance from people who are just a little bit further along than we are in a subject or a character trait. If you're wanting to grow in a character trait, find somebody who mimics that. And with the guidance of someone, I believe we can all accomplish a goal or change in our lives. Now, like I said, I hope some of your goals this year are about your walk with Jesus. And I wanna challenge you, if they're not about your walk with Jesus, at least add one to your list. And remember this, that life change and transformation happens with time. It is a long stretch, not the short stretch. And so when we think of being spiritually transformed, we need to focus on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so today I wanna answer these questions for you. What a disciple is, what discipleship is, why it's important, and cool, so what now? So with that said, buckle up, because all authentic change happens with God, and we need help in understanding what it means to be his disciple. So let's answer that first question. What is a disciple? The basic definition is a follower A follower of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. A biblical definition is not much different, but the biblical definition is someone who followed a teacher or rabbi with the intent of becoming like them. They were a learner or a pupil. And the main task of a disciple was to learn, study, and pass along the sayings and teachings of their teacher or master. No worries, they're my family. But this happens through a long process. This right here, to learn, to study, and to pass along somebody's teachings must first mean you have to master them. And when we look in Scripture, we see multiple examples of what a disciple is. We see in the gospels that Jesus had disciples. That's very obvious. But what we might not see is that so did the Pharisees. So did John the Baptist. So did Moses in the New Testament. So when we think of disciples, this is not just something central to our religion or to our walk with Jesus. It is something that is global. In fact, throughout history, Buddha has had disciples. The Dalai Lama has had disciples. And if you love philosophers like I do, you know that Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates had disciples. In fact, it was like intertwined. They were all disciples of one another. So it's very common for teachers to have disciples. And in the Bible, we see that Jesus often references his 12 disciples. See, they learned from him. He taught them his teachings so that they could go on and leave and teach others the very thing that he taught them. And we also see throughout the Gospels and the New Testament that there were people called followers of Jesus. Great crowds would follow Jesus, not just his 12. And a follower of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus are the same thing. They are intertwined. And we must realize that to be a follower of Jesus means that we are a disciple of Jesus. And so that would mean the large crowds that were full of men, women, and children from all different areas and walks of life were disciples of Jesus. And so there is a time where discipleship takes place in large group settings, like this, right here. When somebody is up here teaching or speaking or preaching, our goal is to disciple every single person here. So this means that large crowds can be disciples, but also discipleship takes place in a small setting. It can happen in a one-on-one setting in which somebody is walking through with you how to be a disciple and student of Jesus. And in the book of Acts, we find that the apostles frequently use the term disciple to refer to those who believe in Jesus. In other words, if you believe in Jesus, you are his disciple. Now, whether you are on a process of being discipled or are in a process of discipleship is another story. So let's transition and answer the question, what is discipleship? The very basic Dictionary definition is the process of accepting and spreading the doctrines and teachings of another. So when I looked up the biblical definition of this, it is very hard to find one definition. There are multiple people that think different things about what discipleship is. And so I kind of threw a bunch together, and this is the definition I came up with. Biblically, it is a process of accepting the truth of God. And Jesus, then spreading the truth to others. And this is very important. We have to accept the truth first before we go and spread it. We can't not believe in Jesus and go talk to somebody about Jesus, we'd be a fraud. We need to first accept and dwell on the truths of God and Jesus before we go and teach others. I know a pastor who once said, nothing great can happen through you until it happens in you. And see, discipleship is the process of becoming more like Jesus so that you can spread the truth of Jesus. And I know some of you are still confused about the definition of discipleship, so let me break it down even more. There's a certain pastor that I really look up to named John Mark Comer, and he has this saying for his discipleship method. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And this is a great example, honestly, of the way of Jesus. And I believe this is the definition of discipleship. We should be following the way of Jesus and encouraging others to do the same. But, I think we need to change one phrase just just one phrase i know i know i'm sorry just one phrase and one word and this is why i believe it i believe it should say be with jesus becoming like jesus and do what jesus did now i know some of you grammar people out there are like nathan your grammar is terrible i know But this is theologically sound. Because when we spend time with Jesus, we begin a process of becoming like Jesus. And that process is what leads us to do what Jesus did. And so how does this play out? Well, like I said, it could happen in large contexts or in small contexts. But I believe true character change and development and spiritual depth happens in smaller groups, one-on-one, one-on-three, one-on-six. Or if you're like, no, Jesus set the example, you must do one-on-twelve. Go for it, but just remember one person betrayed Jesus. Just saying. The ultimate goal is to help others understand, become like, and do what Jesus did. If I had to give it other goals, I would say that it's helping people understand their calling. It's helping them understand who God has created them to be. Pray for them and seek guidance in a way that points them to Jesus. And you do this by praying and by learning from Jesus himself. And so I think I've talked enough about discipleship and not looked at Jesus's method. So let's look at the method of Jesus. Jesus' model of leadership or discipleship was to intentionally approach people. Read the Gospels. He went up to people and said, follow me. He did not wait for people to come to him. He did not wait for somebody to approach him and be like, hey, be my disciple. No, Jesus went and approached people and said, follow me. And then he would spend time with them and teach them things about himself and God and how to live. And then he would show them how to care and bless and heal others. Then he would encourage them to do the same. And he would watch and challenge them. In fact, when they would mess up or their pride would flare up, he would correct them. Correction is not a bad thing. It is a loving thing to do. Then after all of that, Jesus took a step back and sent them out to disciple others. Jesus, of course, would often use methods such as questions and answers, discussion and memorization with his disciples because guess what? Discipleship is a process. It takes time. Real life change happens over time. We must be challenged to grow and want to become like Jesus. Jesus said a life after him is not easy, but it's worth it. Because when we are truly transformed by Jesus, and when we truly begin to do what he did, we begin to bless those around us. And so now we're at the point where we get to ask the question that every five-year-old in the audience loves to ask. Why? Why? Why is all of this important? Well, the easiest way to answer this question is Jesus did it. Seems pretty obvious. We are followers of Jesus, which means we should follow his example which means we should go and make disciples. Jesus did it. We should do it. The other thing is that Jesus commanded us to do it. And it must be important because all four gospels have a little bit of a rendition of the great commission in it. Yes, they don't all say the same thing, but if you truly look at the context of the verses I'm about to share, you will begin to understand that they all do say the same thing. And so luckily for us, the ordering is actually from clearest to least clearest. So we're going to start with Matthew and work our way to John. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20, for those of you who have your Bibles, it's Matthew, 18, or Matthew 28, 18 through 20. For those of you who don't, don't worry, it's going to be on the screen. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right there, we begin to understand that Jesus commands us to go and make disciples. It doesn't say wait. It doesn't say wait for somebody to, you know, come to you and ask for you to disciple them. It says to go. We must have courage and take the first step and pursue people so they can come to know who Jesus is. Mark 15, or Mark sixteen fifteen puts it this way. It says, and Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And then I love how this paragraph ends. In Mark 16, 20, it says, And they, meaning the disciples, went out and preached everywhere, while while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. The Lord worked with them. When you go out and talk about Jesus, God goes before you. He is working within you and he is always working on the heart of the person you are already talking to. And this is important to know when it comes to spreading his truth. Is that some people may not believe you, but you just planted a seed. Now you have to let God do his work. Luke twenty-four forty-six through 48 says, And Jesus said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. What will you do with the truth you know? What will you do with the truth you are a witness John 20, 21 puts it this way. And Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. What we learn from these passages is that Jesus calls us to go. He has sent us, but he does not send us alone. He has already gone before us and He is with us, transforming us because we are His witnesses to our neighbors, to this church, and to the surrounding areas. Yet, even with all these verses that I just displayed up there, all throughout the Gospels, very plain as day that Jesus was sending us, we don't go and make disciples. And this is a sad reality. We forget that our job is to care for our souls and for the souls of everyone around us. And this isn't just a Creekside mistake. This is a church mistake. This is a Christian mistake. This is a follower of Jesus mistake. And here, I want to tell you a story of how my eyes were open to the lack of discipleship for people training to be pastors. One of my favorite classes I ever took in seminary was transformational leadership. And I wish I could say it was because of the subject, although the subject and the professor were absolutely amazing. But the reason I loved this class is because for an hour of our break, we would all go grab coffee together. And we would just sit and have amazing Conversations. And one day, our professor, sitting around this table of all of us who are anticipating being, uh, you know, on mission for the church, for different nonprofits, for, you know, any type of business, here we're sitting at this table, and our professor asks us, How many of you have been mentored or discipled? And only two of us could say that we had been discipled. And this is very sad because Jesus calls us to do it. He calls us to make disciples, and yet for some reason, we don't do it. And part of the reason I feel like we don't do it is that we don't know that our God-given gift is to be a leader in our community. Our God-given gift is to disciple the people around us. In the book, Anatomy of Discipleship, the author puts it this way. You are called on to be God's kind of leader. Whether anyone follows you or not, God is working to make you more compassionate to the world around you as he is compassionate. But this involves learning to lead God's way by taking initiative for the benefit of others. And I love, love, love that last part. (laughs) Taking initiative for the benefit of others. Isn't that what we want to do as a church? Isn't that what we want Creekside to be known about? I mean, I would hope so. I pray that we as Creekside can actually live up to our mission statement. That we seek to glorify God by finding life in Jesus together and inviting others to do the same, we can't do that without discipleship. We just can't. Because real change happens in community. Goals are reached in community. And yet we can't do discipleship and we can't follow our mission statement if we aren't pursuing the people around us. We can't live up to our core values if we don't do discipleship. Because if we're shaped by the gospel, We won't help but tell people about Jesus. We can't help ourselves but help people see how to follow Jesus more. We can't foster a culture of invitation if we're not inviting anybody to disciple or if we're not inviting anybody to be a part of a discipleship process. And we definitely can't use our gifts as God empowers because God empowers us to bless the people around us. And how do we do that? By discipling. We can't do our mission statement and values without a process of discipleship. And so now that we could hear a a pin drop in this room and that I've called everyone out, the question we must ask is what now? What are we going to do about this? Well, we have been working behind the scenes on launching a new system for discipleship. We want to create systems and trainings for our church so that you can feel confident as you lead and go disciple others. So we are going to be launching a new page on our website completely devoted to discipleship. We will be providing training for those who are wanting to know more about discipleship and how to use the website. And that training will take place on Sunday, January 23rd. And I know some of you right now are wondering, one, how is a website supposed to help us? Two, why a website? And then three, what the heck is gonna go on the website? Those are all wonderful questions. And give me a second, I'm gonna answer them. First, we live in a digital age. Yeah. Don't believe me? Uh, What's in your pocket? It's a mini computer. You literally have internet at your fingertips everywhere you go. So a website that's devoted to discipleship kind of seems important. So what's going to be on this website? Well, the idea is that we are going to create different Bible plans. And these plans, we want to create a space and opportunity for growth and community, and conversation. Each plan will be organized by a week-by-week rotation. And we want to be challenged in our communities. We want to be able to provide you with the tools to ask those tough questions. Maybe you don't have those questions. Maybe you're like, I have no idea what to ask somebody. Well, great, we're writing the plan for you. But here's the truth about these plans. They will mean nothing. Nothing at all. If you do not take the initiative, if you don't take this seriously, we have an amazing writer as our head pastor. For those of you who are new, it's not me. (laughs) He could write the best plans for anyone in here. But if we aren't taking this seriously and if we're not taking the initiative and if we don't have courage to invite others on this process, we are wasting our time with creating this. We need to step up and create a culture of discipleship. And before you say, oh, wow, okay, Nathan just got loud, and I don't have time for this. Let me read you another quote from The Anatomy of Discipleship. There we go. The average American watches more than five hours of TV a day. Though there is precisely little in the entertainment world that helps you become more like Jesus, many Christians know more about sports figures or celebrities than they have thought of knowing about their neighbors. Yikes. But let me take this a step further. This is how I would have worded it. Many Christians know more about the sports figures or celebrities than they have thought about knowing who God is, who Jesus is, and who the Holy Spirit is. They care more about their sports team winning than they care about their neighbor knowing who God is. This is a sad reality that we live in, but we can be the anomaly. You are never too old or too young to make a difference. We can create change here and now. We can create a culture that fosters discipleship one step at a time. And the way we do this is by coming alongside one another and encouraging one another, inviting each other into the process and empowering one another. And, like I said at the very beginning, goals are easier to reach with a guide or a coach. We are trying to create pathways for those of you who want to be discipled to get discipleship. But we also want to create pathways for those who want to be disciple makers, because that's what we're called to, to be able to do it with confidence. Because we believe in the power of God and we believe in his words. And we at Creekside seek to live out the gospel by inviting others and empowering them to see Jesus in their lives. This is why we do what we do. So please, please be praying for what God is putting on your heart. Because I believe every single person in this room should, one, be discipled. But two, I also believe every single person in this room, even the kids, can disciple someone. But here's the truth. You can only pour out what you are filled with first. And that's why I want to bring us back to Batman. (laughs) (laughs) As silly as that is, Batman trained for years. He had many mentors like I brought up earlier. But the crazy thing about how great of a learner Batman was, he was also an amazing teacher. He had many apprentices or disciples underneath him, Robin, Nightwing, Batgirl, and a lot of other ones. Those are the ones that I can remember. (laughs) See, Batman was not just a great teacher. He was also a learner. And the crazy part about following Jesus is this is the posture he calls us to, to be great learners, but also to be teachers, see Jesus sought to teach, observe, question, and challenge us. And we as Creeksiders and followers of Jesus need to do the same. And so as we head into a time of worship, let's pray as we process this message and as we think about our own discipleship journeys. God, thank you for the opportunity to speak about a truth from your very own son who came and discipled, who came and tried to teach us how to truly live. God, I pray that those whose hearts are moved to be discipled, that they would have the courage to come on January 23rd. And I pray for those who are already processing and you are stirring, who feel as though they can be a disciple maker, that you would make it known into their heart that you have called us to go and make disciples of many nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.